Hello, church. It's uh, good to be seen again, and I hope this finds you well. Uh, I wanted to start today with a little bit of a confession. So try not to think less of me. Uh, and this will come as a shock. But uh, I do not like decorating. In fact, uh, it is painful for me. And every year, when Christmas rolls around, Tara gets all excited about decorating the house. And I smile through my teeth. And I am dreading the whole time. I'm usually a little grumpy, makes it hard on her. It just, it's painful. Decoration causes me physical pain. I, uh, it's, you know, okay, if you came to my house and went to my office, my office is decorated. But if you came back in 100 years, it would be the same way. But Christmas, you, you remove decorations to add decorations, and then you have to sweep up the decorations and then lift them up to dust. <laughs> like, what are we doing? And, uh, and then the tree, like you got to place all the ornaments. And it's so tedious. I do not. It's painful. And, uh, you know, I have one job. I bring up the boxes and then I take them down. Uh, so, you know, I'm not the Grinch, I promise, but I just really do not like decorating for Christmas. But I, I love the end result. My house is beautiful and welcoming, again, mostly because of Tara. And I really enjoy the moment. And in fact, as we're decorating, I remember why the pain was worth it. Because I watched my kids struggle to wrap a garland and they drink some hot cocoa and it's just a really nice time to connect. And uh, uh, because we've been married over 10 years, we've learned a couple things. So in Christmas's past, we actually invited a family over. So Tara had some good help and then the husbands could chat and try to entertain the kids a little bit. But the whole point is, is uh, this sort of painful moment of decoration that I loathe every year uh, actually becomes a, a beautiful moment to connect with some friends, to engage with my children. And I forget that until I'm in it. And then I kind of look around and I go, wow, this, this is actually nice. Um, I'm, I'm torn. I, I don't want to be here, but I do want to be here because I like all the people I'm here with. And so really, really decorating over Christmas is a, a painful experience that actually builds relationship. And so I was thinking about that because I think that's a really helpful picture for what I want to talk about today. In our established series, uh, we're talking about the issue of godly sorrow and really, what I think we're talking about is pain management. I think the real conversation isn't this idea of what godly sorrow is, but why God feels sorrow and what his sorrow looks like. Because the reality is, is uh, there's just pain everywhere all the time. I think of my students at school. You know, they hang around my classroom when the block is over. 
and they go to the student lounge when the school bell rings because they don't want to go home. Home is painful. I think about the effect COVID is having on people, on you. Some of you are frontline workers and you're witnessing pain. Some of you live alone or with a roommate and it's painful to be separated from your family. And for some of you, being stuck at home is a painful reality. So I think pain is all around us all the time. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. And I think it's unavoidable. So the question is, uh, what do we do with that pain? What do you do with the pain that you're feeling? What do you do with the pain you've caused others? What do you do with the pain you see in others, that you experience around you? It has to be dealt with. It has to be accounted for. And so godly sorrow isn't an idea. It's a way of engaging with pain. It's a way of engaging with a person who's in pain. I had a, uh, I had a very painful day with my children last Sunday on the 13th. They, you know, they crossed a line and they hurt my feelings. And that might sound strange. They're five, four, and two and a half. I am 36, 275 pounds. So how could a little five-year-old hurt my feelings? Well, they did. And uh, they caused me pain, and I caused them pain in return, unfortunately. So I spent my day being very patient and kind and really working hard to be nice. Now, for some of you, being nice comes naturally. And it's not that I'm not nice. It's just that it's a conscious effort. And so... Uh, eventually I just get tired of doing it. <laughs> and, uh, I got tired of working hard at being nice. And then I lashed out at my kids. I was dismissive. I was angry. I was hurting. I was in pain. So they had come to me in their pain. I pretended to be nice. And when I couldn't do that anymore, in my pain, I lashed out and I caused them more pain. You see, I missed the point of what was going on. When they came to me over their uh, ponies or whatever silly thing it was, I thought it was about the ponies. It's not about the ponies. They're in pain. And what did I do? I trivialized it. And then what did I do? I trivialized my own. And then I turned and I taught them, work harder at being nice. And when you can't work hard enough anymore, lash out 
to control the moment. That's what I taught my children that Sunday when it comes to pain. So we have a problem, don't we? Pain is all around us all the time. It's unavoidable. It has to be dealt with. And we are bad at managing our pain. I'm certainly not great at it. You can glorify it. You can worship it. Uh, you can get sucked into it. You can let it destroy you. Or you can ignore it and push it down and make it irrelevant and dismiss others for their pain, which is typically what I tend to do. But none of that is actually facing pain. It's just trying to manage pain. You can't manage pain. So there's two options when it comes to dealing with pain. There's worldly sorrow, which is how I parented my children that day. And then there's godly sorrow. And there was something different when I woke up Monday morning I felt quiet inside. I might even say emotionally absent. I wasn't excited to see my kids. I wasn't happy to play with them. I hugged them when they fell, fed them dinner, read them a book before bed. I was still faithful in my love, but my heart was far. And I hope they felt that too, because I think that was the important part is that their selfishness and my selfishness, our poor management of our pain, separated us from each other. So, if we want to know what worldly sorrow is and godly sorrow is, I gave you a little picture of the former in my life, but let's actually look at the text. So, first we're going to look at Hosea and then at Micah. And uh, these are really great books of the Bible. Uh, they're the minor prophets, and they're really helpful because they don't describe godly sorrow as an idea. They help you feel what godly sorrow is. Other books may talk about godly sorrow, but the minor prophets seem to give you a picture of a visceral experience into why God is feeling the way he is and what we're doing with our pain. So it's an invitation into understanding God, God's heart and our own. And so in the Bible, we're going through the established series, and really what we're doing is we're unveiling that the uh, Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. And there's really three stories going on. There's the cosmic story of Genesis to Revelation. We haven't lived much of that out. There's the story of Israel and God. And then there's the story of you and I. And so Hosea and Micah is the story of Israel and God that has something to say about our story with God, particularly, and how we deal with our pain. So let's dive in. Hosea 3, 1 to 6. The Lord said to me, Hosea, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a leketh of barley. Then I told her, 
You are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be an intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way toward you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings on that day. Hosea 6, 5 to 7. Therefore, I cut you in pieces with my prophets. I killed you with the words of my mouth. Then my judgments go forth like the sun. For I desire mercy, says the Lord, not sacrifice and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. As at Adam, they have broken the covenant. They were unfaithful to me there. So what's going on in Hosea? Uh, In both books, God has been watching Israel decline for about 500 years. And decline has looked like a long series of kings, mostly bad and ungodly. It's looked like violence, greed, sexual promiscuity, and making bad relationships with other kingdoms. And so, as God is watching Israel in this decline about 500 years, he finally says, I've got to do something. I'm filled with grief and sorrow that my people treat me this way. So I need to send them into exile. I need to give them a warning. So he sends Hosea. Think about this. Israel is in pain for any given reason. I mean, life is painful. We've established that. And in their pain, they're reacting. They're responding. They're trying to manage it by picking up idols, forming bad relationships, and then assuming they can just give burnt offerings to God and make it all better. And so in God's pain, in God's sorrow at the state of his people, he says, Hosea, I want you to do a painful thing. I want you to marry a prostitute. And in chapter one of Hosea, he says, I want you to name your firstborn Jezreel, meaning I'm going to judge my people. And I want you to name your secondborn no compassion. So Israel's in pain and they've turned to idols. God is in pain and he's sorrowful over the separation between them. And then he asks Hosea to do a painful thing and marry a prostitute and name his children Judgment and no compassion. Why is God asking his prophet to live a painful life in front of a painful people? Because his God is in pain. That doesn't make sense to me. It certainly doesn't if you subscribe to worldly sorrow. Let's continue. Micah 6, 6 to 8. My people, what did I do to you? How did I make you tired of me? Tell me, I brought you from the land of Egypt. I freed you from slavery. You say, what can I bring with me when I come before the Lord, when I bow before the God on high? Should I come before with burnt offerings? 
The Lord has told you, human, what is good. He has told you that he wants from you to do what is right to other people. Love being kind to others and live humbly and obey your God. So God told the people years ago, 500 years ago, when he made the covenant that he wanted to be their God, that they would be his people, they would love others, bless the nations, and walk humbly with him. And 500 years later, after much pain, they've descended into idol worship, which basically looks like selfishness and trying harder. And now God is in pain because he feels far from his people. And he sends Micah and Hosea to say and to live out this painful reality. To tell them, I, I don't want your burnt offerings if I don't have your heart. I want to be close to you. You're missing the point. I was brokenhearted first, not you. You didn't just break the covenant, you broke my heart. And now we're far from each other. And this has to be fixed. So he sends a message and a picture through Micah and Hosea of this reality. And when the people don't listen, he sends them into exile. He sends them into exile, which means uh, the kingdom of Babylon and Assyria is going to come in and take over the divided kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And they're going to suffer under those foreign leaders and experience more pain. So let's, let's recap. Israel is in pain for a variety of reasons. Life is painful. And as 500 years progress, they get more and more selfish. They get more and more religious, meaning they try harder. And life becomes more painful because of their idol worship. God is in pain because of what's going on. And then he invites Hosea to marry a prostitute and experience a painful marriage. And where he chases down his adulterous wife who's with another man and pays off her debts and bring her back. Why? To help Israel see their real problem. And then he gives Micah this message that what God really wants is to be close to you in your pain. Not far away. And that you've broken the covenant and his heart first. And then in response to that, in response to all of their compounding pain and his pain, he gives them even more pain called exile. So what, what's going on here? <clears throat> Worldly sorrow versus godly sorrow. See, here's the lie that worldly sorrow tells you. That the presence of pain means the absence of God. That's the lie. So hear me now. That's the lie you're being told when you're in pain. 
that the presence of pain is the absence of God. And if God isn't present, like he promised, he can't love you, so you better love yourself. And what does loving yourself look like? It looks like selfishness. Quite literally, might also look like greed, drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, bad friendships. The list goes on. But like an Israelite, you know God is still there somewhere. So you work harder and you, you show up with some burnt offerings and he rejects them. And then you feel even further from God. And you feel even more pain. That's the spiral of worldly sorrow. That's what I was teaching my kids that Sunday. Be selfish until your selfishness infringes on somebody else's selfishness. And then try hard to be nice. It's all I taught my kids that day. It's embarrassing. That's worldly sorrow. And it leads to compounding pain, a never-ending cycle that when it's, not, when it's not stopped, I'm pretty sure that's called hell. That's where worldly sorrow takes you in response to pain. It just never ends. It never redeems. You've never loved yourself enough. You're far from God and others. I'm pretty sure that's what we call hell. What you're really looking for is love. But you thought love meant the absence of pain. It's not true. Hence, godly sorrow. You see, the lie of worldly sorrow is that the presence of pain is the absence of God. The invitation of godly sorrow is that the presence of pain is an invitation to be closer to him because he's already in pain. So think about your moment for a second. Be honest about the amount of pain you're feeling right now. And I, I acknowledge that a lot of you are in a lot of pain. Godly sorrow says, come be with God in his pain. And come be with God and redeem pain. Why would God ask Hosea to marry a prostitute to chase her down in bed with other men, pay off her debts, bring her home, and name his kids no compassion and judgment? Because the pain God is inviting Hosea into is a picture and a pathway for Israel's redemption. You see, there's no avoiding pain. It must be dealt with. It must be handled, processed. But in Godly sorrow, 
pain is redeemed. What if God is not actually interested in removing your pain? What if God is not always interested in removing your pain? And I don't know about you, but that's typically what I tend to pray. Oh God, please take away this pain. And he doesn't. So we go, shoot, where are you? He's right here and he's in pain too. You see, he wants to be close to you in your pain. What if God wants to use pain to reorient your heart? To keep you from worshiping yourself to worshiping him. And to participate like Hosea in someone else's redemption. See, pain is redeemed in the kingdom of God. It's used for a means of redemption. And we spend our time trying to ignore it or manage it. Or we get caught up in the circumstances in it. When it's an invitation to be close to the one who was already in pain and brokenhearted for 500 years. And then you would participate that in your own redemption and somebody else's. You see, in worldly sorrow, there's no opportunity for repentance. It's a vicious cycle of selfishness and working harder. In godly sorrow, there's always an opportunity for repentance and closeness. Pain is redeemed and it has a purpose. Folks, he wants to be, no, he is close to you in your pain. Your pain isn't proof of his absence. It's proof of his presence. It's an invitation. I think of Psalm 6, verse 6. The author says, I soak my pillow with my tears. Psalm 3 or 4, the author says, I lay in bed and I, I shake with anger, but I do not sin. And I, I meditate on his law. And the Lord gives me a good night's sleep and I wake up renewed. That's godly sorrow. We're not pretending things aren't hard. We're not pretending we don't feel angry. We're not pretending that we're not hurt. But we're not serving ourselves in the midst of it. We allow it to reorient us to him. To deal, to be acknowledged. And then to participate in pain being an act of redemption in other people's lives. What if... What if God is not interested in removing your pain? What if he's interested in, in using it to be close to you? God's great criticism of Israel was that they were not loyal in their love. So his criticism wasn't that they were angry. His criticism wasn't that they doubted. Their criticism wasn't that they were in pain. 
their, his criticism was, what, what you do with that pain. Because the invitation, the desire, the call is to be loyal in your love to him in the midst of pain. That's what he wants to be to you. But if you try to love yourself or ignore your pain, then he's going to seem far. But if you're willing to stand in your pain and turn towards him, you find life, redemption, and then all of a sudden you realize there's all these other people in pain. And you realize that his pain isn't going to kill you. And so you then become freed up to join other people in their pain, not just your own, in hopes that they might be redeemed too, that their pain wouldn't go on pointlessly forever, that they might know there's a living God who's near and not far, who wants to redeem the tragedy. Think about all the trauma that's going on in the world. It's pointless and fatalistic without God. But you could partner with him and redeem that. And bring people closer to their father who was already in pain first. <clears throat> Israel was an exile because what they didn't realize is that the root of their pain was separation from God. See, they thought it was their circumstances. They thought it was the people they encountered, the tragedy of day-to-day -day life. And so they turned to their idols, which made things worse. But they, they couldn't see that the fundamental issue of their pain is they were far from God because they believed the lie that the presence of pain is the absence of God. And so God's only answer was to give them more pain, exile. To physically separate them from themselves and their land so that they would see the real root of their pain and repent. And in the book of Micah and Hosea, God is overflowing with a desire to redeem his people and to be close to them and to help them see that their pain is an invitation, not something to be avoided. I want to read to you a little bit of a song. It's, it's one of my favorites. It's by a musician called John Michael Talbot. It's called Behold Now the Kingdom. It's based off of Matthew chapter 5. So I'm not going to read all of it, but this, this is my invitation to you this morning. So a multitude followed a man a prophet who spoke words of wisdom, and they listened trying to understand the paradox of his great truth. He said, blessed be those who are poor, for you shall inherit the kingdom. Blessed be those who are weak, for you shall inherit great strength. Blessed be those who are children, for you shall be counted as wise. And blessed be the blind men, for you shall see with new eyes. Blessed be those of compassion, for you shall inherit compassion. Blessed be those who forgive, for you shall be forgiven. 
and you shall receive consolation only in reaching to give and only in dying for others can you be reborn to live. Behold now the kingdom. Behold now the kingdom. Behold now the kingdom. See with new eyes. Poverty, weakness, blindness, compassion, forgiveness. Those are all painful things. But what's the invitation? Is that if you give away what you long for, you get it in return. But you can't do that unless you're near the source of compassion and forgiveness. And pain is your opportunity to be close, not farther away. Only in dying for others can you be reborn to live. Blessed be the blind man, for you shall see with new eyes. So, pain is everywhere. Pain is unavoidable. What are you going to do with your pain? I say to you, in the presence of your pain, behold now the kingdom. Behold now the kingdom. Behold now the kingdom. See with new eyes, church. See with new eyes the redemption of pain and the presence of a God who was in sorrow long before you were and invites you to be close to him. Let's pray. Father, I just admit that I am terrible at pain management. The fact that I even think pain needs to be managed shows that I'm missing the point. It's overwhelming. It's hard. I barely know how to deal with my own emotions half the time, let alone those of others. And I just admit that in my pain, I usually feel far from you. Thank you that you've never dismissed my heart. And we repent for our idolatry, our selfishness, our hard work that actually makes us farther from you. Thank you that pain, according to your sorrow, is an invitation into closeness, redemption, new life. We are blind men and women who wish to see with new eyes our pain and where you are in the midst of it that we might enter in to others' pain and see a world redeemed to your glory. Be near to us, Father. Thank you that you always are. We thank you for the invitation of pain. Amen.